Welcome to the podcast channel of the East Bay Unity Intergroup of Overeaters Anonymous. The opinions expressed here are those of individual members and do not represent OA as a whole. For more information about our intergroup, please visit our website at eastbayoa.org. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jenny, and I'm a sugar addict and a compulsive eater. I'm also an atheist and a lesbian, and um, I just want to welcome any newcomers who are here and also who may be listening to this in the future. Um, And I want to just say that this is my story, and it does not represent OA as a whole. And actually, I'm a bit of a heretic, and uh, the way I work my program may be scandalous to some of you. I have been in OA for five and a half years, and I've been abstinent the entire time, and I've maintained a 60-pound weight loss. So I was going to start just by showing a, if I can, sorry, I was going to show a before and after picture, but my cursor is acting funny. Okay, here we go. So this first picture was right before I came into OA. Um, For those of you who are not being seated, it's a very large bodied woman with a lot of lumps and rolls. And this is what I look like now. I'm more of a normal sized, healthy body and I'm wearing an awesome pink pantsuit. Um, It's been really fun to fit into, to be smaller bodied and be able to fit into really fun clothes. So, that is the end of that. Oops. Um, so today I'm here to talk about step 12 as well as share a little bit about what it was like for me. And I'm going to weave my story into about what happened and what it's like now into the 12th step. And I'm just going to read the 12th step one more time, probably more times today, um, which is having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps. We tried to carry the message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. So I'm going to start with um, a quick background about what it was like. I always loved sugar as a kid. I came from a family of people with sweet teeth, and um, my parents recognized that sugar was unhealthy, and so it was pretty restricted at home. And so when I encountered it, I just gobbled it up. And I also pretty much grew up an atheist. I never believed in God. My family did celebrate the Christian holidays, but in a secular manner. We had Santa Claus and a bunny for Christmas and Easter. And for me, it was really, you know, all about the candy. Um, I spent most of the time until I was 30 years old in the ideal healthy body weight range. But I had like a heart crushing, two heart crushing events that happened when I was 30. And I'm not going to go into the real details other than to say that my mother disowned me. And then a few months later, I had been with a partner for five years and I was actively in the process of trying to get pregnant. And um, we were two women together. And uh, I found out that she was cheating on me. And so that relationship was over. And I was just really brokenhearted. Um, I went to therapy. That was one hour a week to try and help deal with my grief, but that wasn't enough. And I started turning slowly and then more quickly to sugar to self-soothe. That was available 24-7, easy to get a hold of. I was an adult. I could buy as much as I wanted. There was nobody there telling me what I could and could not eat. 
And I started gaining a lot of weight and I started wearing stretchy black leggings and really big baggy oversized sweatshirts because I didn't really want to look at my body. Um, I got over my broken heart after a few years and I joined a weight loss program. And this started like decades of me going to weight loss programs, losing the weight. And then as soon as you know I was done or I got to my goal, I would just stop the restricting, which was kind of, you know, it was not something that I could sustain. And I would gain it all back. And I was still continued to abuse sugar. I didn't ever learn how to deal with that. It was my cure-all. Um, I did end up becoming, getting reconnected with my mother, um, but she was still a really hard person to deal with. And every time I would go visit her, it would, I would stop at this drugstore near her house and I'd get two candy bars, one to eat before I got there. And one as a reward for making it through, you know, an hour of a discussion with her. Um, I also was an editor and a graphic designer. And there would be days when I have to do all this like tedious proofreading. And I would be like, okay, you get done with this chapter. You can go to the vending machine and pick something out. Um, I also used sugar to just give me an energy boost when I was feeling low. And of course, I wasn't really understanding this, but every time, you know, I'd hit a sugar high, I would get a low. And so I just keep having sugar to, you know, it was self-perpetuating. I was just constantly eating sugar. Members, partners, coworkers, friends, or just even strangers. and all this sugar and all this extra weight um, left my body in really bad shape. I had to have my gallbladder taken out. I had plantar fasciitis. I had chronic back pain. My A1C levels were inching into the pre-diabetic range and I had high cholesterol. Um, I was too big for normal clothes and I often had to shop in the men's section. Airplane seats were really tight. It was not fun to travel. It was really embarrassing. And um, I remember I took my son, I finally did have a child, um, and his friend to the Grand Canyon for a trip one time. And they really wanted to ride the mules there. And I, when I got there, I mean, I had to go with them because they were kids. There was like a weight maximum for how much you could weigh to be on the mules. And I was over that weight and I cheated. When I got up to be weight, I put my hand on the counter to, you know, make myself like less weight on the scale and, uh, you know, poor, poor mule, but I, I did get on one. Um, but it just was a, you know, it was a huge inconvenience. I, there were so many things that my size was not allowing me to do. Um, and my mind was really crazy too. I was constantly berating myself, you know, like, oh my gosh, you have no willpower. You're so fat. Like how every, nobody else seems to have a problem like this. Like what's wrong with you? Um, just really ugly talk, especially every morning when I would like take a shower to get ready for work. I just, I just really hated myself. Um, and I was also really cranky and I didn't realize that this was happening because I was, you know, coming down from sugar highs, but uh, I just had mood swings all the time. And I also slept a lot because I would be tired after, you know, the ups and downs. And I was often, when I was in the middle of sugar, I would be kind of just in this unfocused daze. And um, I wasn't, I wasn't doing well. So 
I was 56 years old when I finally reached my bottom. And I realized it was my bottom when I posed this question to myself that if I was asked to give up sugar in order to save my son's life, I realized I would not be able to do it. I realized that I love sugar more than anything else. And that just broke my heart. It almost makes me want to cry right now. I just, um, it was very, very hard for me. And that's when I'm like, okay, I have to do something different. And so at this point, I do want to start talking a little bit about the 12th step because it plays into my story. And I'm just going to read it again. Um, Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry the message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And I wanted to start with the carrying the message to compulsive eaters, because I was really thinking about like, what was the message that got me to a 12 step program? Because I I got here kicking and screaming. And um, I vaguely remember as a young, like teenager hearing about Alcoholics Anonymous and that it was a program that helped alcoholics stop drinking. So I had like, you know, I knew there was something out there. And when I was in my 20s, my sister had an alcoholic boyfriend and she was going to Al-Anon and I went with her once just to be supportive. And um, I was just so turned off. You know, there were all these like God steps. There was all these hugging. There were all these trite slogans. I, I just was so turned off by 12 step. Um, and then later in my life, again, I was in therapy and I was also trying to work on my compulsive eating and my therapist suggested that I go to OA and I'm like, there's no way I can do that. I'm an atheist. I can't, you know, the steps, I can't deal with it. Um, but one of the turning points for me about 12 step programs was when my father who became an active alcoholic, when I was an adult, he wasn't drinking when I was a child. Um, he was mired in alcoholism for at least 20 years. And he was just really unpleasant to be around. It was really hard. And he finally got himself to AA and it was a life changer for him. And for me to see someone who, whose life was so completely changed by 12 step program, just kind of opened up the door for me a little bit more than it had been before. And so when I was at my low at age 56 and I was so desperate, I was willing to give it a try. You know, I had seen 12-step programs work for people that I loved. And so I was willing to try it for myself. Um, But I absolutely did not want to be part of a 12-step program. And I still reviewed, uh, viewed them as religious cults. Uh, But as as is often said, you know, 12-step programs are the last house on the block. And that's where you turn to when there's nowhere else to go. And I was definitely at that point. The first meeting, OA meeting that I went to was a lot worse than I even expected. Um, It was held in a church around a small table in a small room with no windows. And I got there right on time because I just didn't want to talk to anybody. And people were handing around a book and they were reading a story about an alcoholic who became sober by getting on his knees and asking God to relieve his compulsion. And I was just so confused. I'm here because I have an eating problem. Why are we talking about alcoholics? And then just all the God stuff in the steps and to hear that, you know, this person's solution was to ask God for help. I just felt like I cannot do this. But 
Um, luckily, when I was getting ready to leave, a woman came up to me and said, you should try at least five other meetings. And it was her friendliness and her just dedication to, you know, try and um, just help a newcomer. That was another step, another thing that helped me be in OA. Um, and I found that a lot of OA members, you know, they carry the message just by their friendliness. Um, and I thought I really appreciate about the, that in meetings. And then a final thing that kind of really closed the deal for me was actually at this meeting where I heard my first atheist speak and she had really great recovery and she obviously didn't believe in God and she was someone that I, you know, could be a role model for me. And I got her number and I talked to her afterwards and that was really a game changer. Um, so when I look at how I come to OA about carrying the message, you know, I try and model like what happened for me. I don't try and proselytize. Um, when people, you know, ask me how I lost weight, you know, I tell them that I reluctantly went to a 12-step program and that it helped in ways that therapy and diet never did. And, but I don't push it on them. You know, I wait for them to ask me questions. I have told my son about it because he comes from a family of, you know, addicts. And I want him to know that he has a place to turn to if that ever comes up for him. I do share my secular OA success with others um, who are also secular. And I do service by working with secular members to get the word out to our community and by working with secular sponsees. Um, the next, another part of the 12 steps is the spiritual awakening as a result of these steps. And here's the blasphemous part of my share is that OA literature brings me little comfort. And so I read outside 12-step literature that is based on psychology. And it's helped me learn to translate things like just the you know wording of spiritual awakening. I'm like, I don't know what that means as an atheist. That doesn't make sense to me. But if you translate this you know, through a psychology lens, it's about self-awareness. And I want more self-awareness. And that's you know, what I'm doing when I'm working steps six and seven, you know, by looking at my character defaults. And I'm actively trying to address those. I'm not asking God to take them away. I'm trying to take personal responsibility and work on them. I have, um, and my son is an adult now. He's just getting ready to graduate from college. And, you know, I'm trying to like move back from mothering him so much. And, you know, I don't need to manipulate him into, you know, getting that much needed haircut, in my opinion, um, or nag him about getting his resume together, or, you know, to suggest people for him to go have informational interviews with, you know, he's got his own resources. And if he wants his, my advice, he'll ask me for it. Um, another blasphemous thing I do is that I use alternative steps. And just an example of one is the traditional OA step three is made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. And that whole God thing just really doesn't work for me. There is a free thinker 12 step, which says made a decision to turn our will and lives over to the care of the collective wisdom and resources of those who have searched before us. And that just, you know, really makes so much sense to me. I learned so much from the people who are at the meetings when they share, I learned things from them. 
And as far as, you know, the resources of people who have searched before me, that takes the form of all these secular 12-step books and secular podcasts that are available. Um, and in the beginning, when I was here, I really did try to fake it till I make it. You know, and I heard this advice that I could have a higher power that could even be a doorknob. And that just really sounded crazy to me. And my recovery is not based on a favor granting male supernatural power. I depend on my community and their collective wisdom, my sponsor, and my own self introspection and personal growth work. Um, another part of the 12th step is that we practice this, these principles in all of our affairs. And in the first edition of the OA 12 and 12 that I had, they didn't put the principle with the step in the book. And so I never really understood what the principles were, but every step has a principle and I'm just gonna read them off. It starts off with honesty for step one, and then there's hope, faith, courage, integrity, willingness, humility, self-discipline, love, perseverance, spiritual awareness, which I translate as, as self-awareness and service. And my goal from being in OA is to try and be the best person I can be. And so I can use these principles as a credo that I strive to live by. Um, so I just, I guess I'll be wrapping it up. I think I'm talking a lot faster than I expected, but um, OA, does work and it works for people who have a spiritual practice or who believe in God, but it also works for people who don't. And um, when I'm sober from sugar and compulsive eating, I can hear and trust my intuition more clearly. And that's just been an awesome thing that's happened. And when I practice step 12, um, I, I do it by sharing my own success in working a secular program, by speaking at meetings and by working with sponsees and doing service for the secular community. You know, the, I went to a Freethinker meeting. I don't, a lot of you here know about um, the delisting that almost happened to us because we were using outside steps and outside literature at the time. We didn't know we weren't allowed to do that, but it kind of, that whole um, debacle happened right before the pandemic happened. And since Zoom, all of these secular people are coming together and finding each other. And we're actually, you know, we're really able to help each other out. And I'm working with others um, to create outside OA sources that are useful for people who have compulsive overeating issues. Um, and we've offered workshops and are developing some literature. So when I carry the message though, I just, I try not to proselytize. I just try and keep it simple and, you know, let people know that 12 step programs can help. Um, and if they want to know more, I just wait for their questions. It took me a really long time to get to OA and I just trust that people will find us when they're desperate enough. So anyway, thanks for letting me share today.